As you see, we're going through a series um, on the I Am Statements of Jesus. If we could turn our Bibles to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we'll read from verse 35. Also, just to thank you for your prayers as we are getting ready for the church plant in Mamelodi. Um, thank, thank you for receiving us. We're really excited about it with my wife. Um, should, I, should, I, should it be up? All right. We're really excited about it, and we're looking forward to, to just really uh, serving the Lord there. Um, we're in the stage now where we're gathering a core group, and we're about to actually move to Mamilodi uh, to actually live there so that we can actually start the ministry. So uh, we're really excited about it, and we, we can't wait to go and share the word and, and be the light in that part of town. John 6, verse 35. If you have it, say amen. amen. If I was in the townships, I would say God is good, and you'd say... When you say Gumnandi Gubala, you'd say, Hello, hello. Somebody grew up in the hood. Gumnandi Gubala, it's nice to be here. God is good and all the time. You're, you're, you're going to have to be really responsive. Um, that's how I roll. That's how it helps me up here when you talk back. It lets me know that you're following with me. Amen. John 635, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Baba, we we come to you right now recognizing that we're not handling a newspaper, we're not handling some book, we're handling your word. Your word is life, your word is precious, your word transcends all our thoughts, it transcends all our opinions, and I pray that it will stand out and that Jesus Christ will be lifted up, and that, oh God, you will show us yourself again, that we may live here impressed again with you, wanting to fellowship deeper with you, wanting, oh God, to, to know you more, wanting to, 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 to love you more, wanting to, to repent of, of where we are and, and so that, Lord, we can seek you and have a heart for you. So we are so desperate. We're desperate for you this morning. We need you to speak to us. I'm just a vessel, Lord, and I ask that by your Spirit, you will carry me to speak your word to the lives of your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going through a series on the I am statements of Jesus. Um, There's so many voices that are speaking outside, trying to explain who Jesus is. In a way, this series takes the microphone, and it actually gives it to Jesus, and we're allowing Jesus to tell us himself who he thinks he is. Last week, you heard Jesus tell the woman at the well that he was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one. There's a powerful observation that Ona made during the end of the sermon. He said, Jesus is not only the Messiah. Jesus is not only the anointed one. Jesus is not only the person who who pursued the woman at the well, but he said this to words of this effect. He said, Jesus goes beyond the superficial and meets our deepest need. Jesus goes beyond the superficial and actually meets our deepest need. Jesus sees us as we are. But he doesn't disassociate himself from our mess. He actually still pursues us. But he goes to the depth of issues we face, and he gives himself as our solution. So I want to pick up that thread that Ona ended with last week and pick it up in today's text. I think it is consistent with how John actually presents Jesus 
in his gospel. John presents Jesus as this divine person who meets with humanity. He presents Jesus as this profound heavenly being who's always meeting people who are superficial. And he brings solutions that are so countercultural, so out of our league that we're like, how does he say that? Like, how can he say that this is who we are? We, we are so superficial that Jesus comes and he gives us uh, profound solutions. For example, if, 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 um, I think it's, it's very clear to say that in our culture, we, we are superficial people. We are very superficial. If, for example, we are going through a bad day or we are discouraged, you know, what do we think is the solution? If you're a lady, what solution do you need? You need to go shopping, right? What do you say? Do you say wine? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Proves my point. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we are so superficial. You know, if you're a guy and you are discouraged and, and you know, you don't want to see the world and you've beat up by, by the world, what do you think is the solution? We go out to watch rugby or we go out to watch soccer. So that's, that's, that's the kind of people that we are. We have superficial solutions for the problems that we face. But from the first chapter, Jesus is presented as this person who's going to help us with our superficial solutions. Jesus is presented as a person who deals with our fundamental issues. John chapter 1, verse 21, when John sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the unemployment problem of the world. Is that what he says? He takes away the education problem of the world. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're so used to that, but that's such a profound statement if you think about it. Like, we would not describe our problem as sin. Like, if I come to the UN and I, and I tell all these world leaders, I'm like, guys, I've got a solution for the, for the problem. You know what a problem is? We have a sin problem. They'd be like, um, next. <laughs> like, that's, that's not relevant. That's not, you're not helping us. Give us the real solution. Because we'd never define our problem as sin. But John the Baptist says Jesus is the one who takes away our deepest fundamental problems. And it's Jesus time and time again. He keeps on confronting people with their superficial life with what is truly satisfying, namely himself. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who was crippled in the pool of Bethesda. Instead of the religious leaders getting excited about the fact that this man who was ill for 38 years, crippled, couldn't walk, guess what they're fixated upon? The fact that he did it on the Sabbath. That's what they're angry about. This man was ill for 38 years. Jesus healed him. But the big problem the religious leaders have with Jesus is that he healed him on the Sabbath day. In chapter 6, it tells us, in chapter 6, um, the, the text tells us that there were multitudes of people that were following Jesus. Jesus is at the stage where he's like a celebrity. He, he's, a, he, he's the man that everybody wants to see. He, he's coming with a new message. He's coming with a message of authority. He's, he's, he's healing the sick. He's, he's casting out demons. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And so as the text opens in chapter 6, we see the crowds gathering around Jesus. Jesus is passionate about teaching them about the kingdom, but he also recognizes that these crowds, they need something to eat. They are hungry. And so Jesus does a supernatural miracle. He takes five loaves and two fish, and he turns it into an ocean basket meal and feeds 20,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. That's truly an amazing, amazing miracle. So after that, the crowd is impressed with Jesus, but as it is Jesus' usual custom, he goes away 
to pray, and the disciples get in the boat, and they go to the other side of the sea. So they were at the Sea of Galilee, but they go to Capernaum. And in the evening, the crowd doesn't see this, Jesus actually walks on water and comes to his disciples as they are rowing to the other side, and he gets in the boat, and they're already on the other side. So by this time, the crowds are amazed. Jesus was at their side, but now the disciples are gone, but they don't know where Jesus is. And so the crowds follow Jesus. They get in their boats, and they go to Capernaum to look for where Jesus is. We're thinking, what a wonderful thing. What an exciting thing. The crowds want Jesus. The crowds are looking to Jesus. They want to follow him. They want to hear from him. Look at verse 25. Look at chapter 6, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side, look at the question they asked. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? We're thinking, wow. I mean, these people are sacrificing, traveling, transport from, from the one side to the other side to look for Jesus. They're sacrificing so that they can be with him. But notice what Jesus says to them, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This is sovereignty speaking. It's the all-knowing, heart-searching, king of kings speaking into their real situation. You're looking for me, but you're looking for me for all the wrong reasons. See, the signs that Jesus was doing was not so that people can be impressed with the signs. The signs was to lead people to actually see Jesus. But they were not concerned with who Jesus is because they wanted a Jesus who's going to perform miracles and feed them and give them food. Jesus tells them like, Jesus to them, sorry, was like a mobile ocean basket whom they can order from, from for free. That's how they saw Jesus. So notice what he tells them, verse 27, chapter 6. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Jesus is trying to move their attention away from looking from the outside, but away from looking at the superficial to looking to him. But notice their response in verse 28. They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? There's something that we need to do. Jesus is saying, look to me, the person whom the Father has set his seal upon. They're asking, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They're saying, okay, we see you that you're obviously this supernatural guy. You've done all these wonderful miracles. Now tell us, what's the deal? What do we need to do so that we can be right with God? There's something that we need to do. The assumption is we have to work for this. Look at what Jesus says in verse 29. He answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Again, he is moving their attention from the outside, from the doing, from thinking the solution might be something we, might, we have to fix, we have to do. He's moving the attention from that to himself. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, how do they respond? Look at verse 32 to 31. They said to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see? Again, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread 
out of the heaven. Like, how ungrateful is that? What work do you do for a sign? Like, the previous day, he just took five loaves and two fish, and he fed 20,000 people. But that's not enough. They're like, like, another miracle. Like, what do you do? And they're even quoting scripture. Our fathers ate manna in the, in the, in the, in, in, in the book of Exodus back then. Like, what are you going to do so that we may believe? Jesus tells them, verse 32 to 33, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Again, like the woman at the well, they want to talk about where to worship, whether in Gerizim, whether in Jerusalem. They want to get a theological discussion with Jesus to say, like, our fathers ate manna. What do you going to do for us. Jesus is not afraid. He goes there with them, but the application that he gives, he says, do you know what the relevant application for you is? Do you know what the scripture is for you? I am that manna for you today. Don't worry about a theological discussion about, you know, uh, uh, whether, whether, whether we, who, who, Moses gave them bread out of heaven. I am the true manna for you today. Verse 34 to 35, they said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Here we have our pivotal statement. Jesus then answers, says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Three truths that we just want to extract out of this statement. Three truths that we just want to bring out and then we'll close. Firstly, Notice the boldness of the statement. It says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Like, who says that? If I came to my wife, and my wife is like, honey, can you just please get us some bread? I'm like, honey, I am your bread of life. <laughs> like, like, she would look at me like, and she would say it in Zulu, like, like, you know about his bread, you, you're not that important, come down. You're just a sinful human being. You're just a husband, you know? I saw a video even this past week of a celebrity who was claiming that he is God. Uh, yeah. I, well, I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> he was claiming that he is God, that, that he is, you know, in fact, he was busy chastising everybody for giving him a hard time for saying that he is God. And you read the, read the comments of what people are saying. They're like, people understand that that's not who he is. It's only his diehard fans that would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But deep down inside, everybody knows that that guy cannot claim to be who he is. And that's really where you have to go with when somebody makes a claim like this. It's either who they say they are, or they are the most narcissistic, self-absorbed individuals on the face of the earth. You know, do you know how huge of a huge responsibility it is to be somebody's bread of life? Like, that's pretty huge. Deep down inside, we can never fulfill that role. And we all know that. Only Jesus can make up the claim and back it up. He's the only one with the capacity to live up to those words in the truest sense. Now the crowd that was asking him did not really have an idea of who Jesus was. They didn't really understand whom Jesus was talking. To them, Jesus is just a guy who's got superpowers. He's just a guy who's really closer to God than they are. But they don't really understand who Jesus is. Look at verse 41 to 42. Look at verse 41 to 42. Jesus, the Jews therefore were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they were saying, uh, 
Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I came down from heaven? If only was here, who would remind us, like, would be, we would be the guys in the crowd that would be like to Jesus. Um, Jesus, you know, in Facebook, would, would put up his address and say, no, we know where he stays. We know where he stays, he's lying. How can he say this guy is the bread of life? Like, we'd be with the crowd, and we'd be questioning Jesus and saying, no way, this guy is just a regular guy. We would look at him in a superficial way. But Jesus does not back down from telling them who he is. He doesn't back down from telling them who he really is. And that's what I love about Jesus. I love that about a God. Louis Gigli once said, one of the reasons I love God is because God knows that he is God. That's profound. God knows that he is God. Like God has never needed a psychologist to remind him that he's God. He, he, he's never needed a motivational speaker to urge him to believe in himself. Like God knows who he is. He is secure in himself. He says, I am the one who provides spiritual nourishment. No other God can promise you that and back it up. Only Jesus can. No celebrity, no job, no husband, no adventure can ever satisfy the deepest longing that Jesus can give. Those things are not powerful enough. They're not strong enough. Their knowledge is too limited. They are too finite to provide only what Jesus can. Jesus is confident on who he is and what he can do. He says, I am the bread of life. Not only is this a bold statement, notice the metaphor he uses. Look at the metaphor that he uses. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In verse 34, they ask, Lord, evermore give us this bread. In answering them, Jesus does not promise to give them physical bread so that they'll never go hungry. He doesn't promise that he'll give them that physical bread so that they'll never go hungry. John Piper puts it this way. Jesus did not come to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus points them from their physical need to himself. I am the bread of life. He uses the metaphor to describe who he is and what he's come to do to those who seek him. He's their spiritual nourishment. He's their sustainer. He fulfills their deepest need. There's one truth that stands out in the book of John that Jesus is constantly trying to communicate is that people's needs were not physical, were not just physical, but their main needs were spiritual. You see that throughout in the book of John. In John chapter 2, verse 19, 21, you don't have to turn there. Jesus is in the temple. People are selling um, cows, people are selling their sheep and, and, and the whole temple is, in, is, in, is, is, is messed up and Jesus starts overturning those tables he starts chasing everybody out and they ask him a question, what sign do you show for, for, for doing this? Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up the Jews then answered took us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days but then John tells us he was referring to the temple of his body they, 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 they're looking at the physical. Jesus is looking at the spiritual. Nicodemus, Jesus comes to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, you mean I have to re-enter my mother's womb uh, so that I can, be, I can be born again? Is that what you're talking about? Like, no. Jesus is talking about spiritual truth. Woman at the well. Whoever drinks of this water, I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep on coming here again. But Jesus is referring to spiritual 
water. Jesus is trying to move us from looking at the physical needs to looking at the spiritual needs, which are equally real. But like the people, we only see the physical blessings. We only see the physical blessings. In fact, many of you this morning, you can testify this, to this, that you only feel loved when the Lord has blessed you with a job, when the Lord has blessed you with a car, when the Lord has blessed you with healing. And all of that is good. All of that is fine. But I believe Jesus, what he's saying to us, he's saying, move away from that and feed on me. Feed on me. Not just know him through his provisions, but know him and love him for him. The material blessings that you enjoy are supposed to lead you to seek Christ. I'll give in go as far as to say that if your relationship with Jesus is only known through him providing for you and through knowing other people that know Jesus, then you do not know Jesus. You do not know him as your Lord and Savior. How terrible it must be for the bread of life to be offered to you and you're only happy to be satisfied with knowing Jesus through what he only can give. Richard Baxter, old Puritan, says this, See that the work of saving grace be thoroughly wrought in your own souls. Take heed to yourselves, lest you be void of the saving grace of God which you offer to others, and be strangers to the effectual working of the gospel which you preach. And lest while you proclaim to the world the necessity of a savior, your own hearts should neglect him. And you should miss off the interest in him and his saving benefits. Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish. While you call upon others to take heed of the perishing, lest you famish yourselves while you prepare food for them. The danger for us this morning is that we can be attracted to Jesus, not for Jesus' sake, but what, for what Jesus can give. So even fellowship is good, as wonderful as it is, it's not sufficient to satisfy our deepest needs. All of those things flow from knowing Jesus. They are not the end in themselves. Otherwise, if we forget that, we're going to be feeding on entertainment. We're going to be feeding on pleasure. We're going to be feeding on the other things during the week. And then we'll come to church and use Jesus to satisfy our selfish desires. Jesus tells them, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. That's why you're looking for me. So I have to ask you, where are you? Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you seeking Jesus or are you seeking only what Jesus can give? Are you feeding on Jesus yourself or has church become the place where you encounter Jesus through other people's experiences? You look... You think back to the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in Sinai and Moses was going up to pray and they were left at the bottom of the mountain um, you know, worshipping idols and doing whatever that they were doing. If, I'm thinking back, if we were there, like Moses would be enjoying fellowship, awesome presence in the, in, in, with God up there on the mountain. If we were to go back to that time, we'd probably wait for Moses to come down with our iPhones. And as soon as Moses come down, we'd be like, taking selfies with Moses. Like, ah, you know, I, 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 I spoke to him. I, I shook his hand. But it's like, why don't you go up there yourself? 
The veil has been torn. You can actually know Jesus. You can actually feed from him. You can actually know him that way. We don't have to know him through other people. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I know what I can do. I know what I'm looking for. Feed on me. I can satisfy you. I can give you eternal life. I can give you rest. I can be your satisfaction. Lastly, notice the promise. Notice the promise. I don't know what I'm doing on time. Notice the promise. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Remember that he was performing a miracle of feeding 20,000 people from five loaves and two fish. The purpose of his miracles was clear. He was not doing the miracles so that we can be impressed with the miracles. He was doing the miracles so that the miracles can lead to him, so that we can get to know him. That is why Jesus keeps on presenting himself as the solution. I know who I am. He says, I know what I can provide. I fulfill the deepest needs. In another portion of scripture, he says, Come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden. Promise, I will give you rest. I am the light of the world, as we'll hear. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he, he, he dies, he will live. Following Jesus comes with a promise. He's not promising to make you materially rich. He's not promising that you're going to be popular when you follow him. He's not promising that you'll never be sick. But what he promises is that if you follow him, he'll fulfill your deepest satisfaction. You'll never go hungry or thirsty. Jesus, it's amazing the way that he deals with people. He was never moved by crowds. Like, if we looked at that, we'd think he messed up. Like, people are coming to him. Like, give us this bread. Like, oh, when did you get here, Rabbi? Like Oni was saying last week, we'd, we'd be like, wow, yeah, awesome. Crowds are here. We're doing great. Jesus is like, nah, you're seeking me not for the right reasons. He knew people's hearts and what would satisfy them. He would never lower the bar, even if it means not being appreciated as a hero who satisfies their physical needs. He keeps on presenting himself as the satisfaction. Those that are hungry will accept his message, and those that reject him, he's really not bothered by that, as you read in verse 44 to 58. Just interestingly, as just look at this. If you, if you look at the end of chapter 6, from verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. We're not walking with him anymore. Why? Because he just said those difficult words, I'm the bread of life. You need to eat from my flesh. If you don't eat from me, then you're not part of me. They started the crowd walking with him, but at the end, people started leaving him when they actually found out what Jesus is actually about. Jesus said, therefore, you don't want to go also away, do you? <laughs> Talking to his own disciples like, what is Jesus doing? We don't want to have a church after this. Like he's, he's, just, chasing, he's just chasing up everybody. Simon Peter said, verse 68, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, Jesus is opening his hands and he's inviting us as I conclude. He's calling us to find our joy in him. He's calling us to exalt in him. He's calling us not just to come to him for what he can give, but for who he is. The way that he provides that need, he does it in a way that we never thought he could do it. 
We expected him to provide for our immediate needs. We expected him that he will come and he will save us from whatever physical problem we're going with. Sometimes he does that. But it's most of the time he does that so that we can fix our eyes on him. So that we can feed on him. John 6, 54, 56. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is to drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The death of Jesus on the cross is the price that he paid in order to fulfill our deepest need. That is to have our sins forgiven. That is our deepest need. We thought we needed a God who just gives us what we want so that we can be happy in this life. But instead we get a God who provides us through Christ what we really needed so that we're not only happy in this life, but we are happy in the next life that is to come. Like which God lowers himself like this? Which God, even when we are ungodly, even when we are coming with superficial needs, even when we're coming with him, not even our hearts being on him, but he still says, I am the bread of life, right? He still invites us. He doesn't reject us. He says, come just as you are. He says, you don't have to work in order to achieve salvation. You can't work in order to achieve it. Maybe somebody's sitting here this morning saying, I'm not good enough. Like, let me just get myself right. I, I just, there's a relationship I need to cut. There is some habits that are not right. That's not what Jesus is asking you to do. He's saying he is the bread of life. Like, you come as you are and you feed on him. I believe Jesus is offering himself to us this morning as our satisfaction. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are so mindful of uh, who we are and who you are. Thank you that you know who you are. You're not confused about who we are. We're confused. We don't even know who we are half the time. But you say you are the bread of life. You said, Lord, that you satisfy our deepest need. And so, God, we, we ask that this morning you would, you would do just that, that you would show us yourself, that you would let the scales from our eyes fall, that we would see something of you, that, that if we didn't understand what, what this message was about of Christianity, that we would get that it's, it's all about God giving us you as our satisfaction. That even though we're going through the deepest and the toughest times, that even though, God, we might be facing the deepest problems, but we can know that we know him, we know Jesus. And because we know Jesus, we know that everything is going to be okay. So I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who is still yet to commit his life to you, may this be the day that they see you, that they come to you, that they surrender to you, that you become their bread of life, that they can feed on you. We trust you, God, that you are so committed to us that you're not going to leave us, that you will pursue us, O oh God, until we surrender and say, Lord, you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.